Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.03 a.m. Central Daylight Time on this Memorial Day, the 25th of May, 2020. This is episode 242 of Bitcoin and happy birthday, Calvin. We'll get to you in a few minutes, man. Uh, You probably already know where I'm going to be putting that, dude. Uh, Let's see. Anything going on? Uh, It is Memorial Day. Um, Even though I don't like the fact that we keep sending our best and poorest sometimes uh, to the meat grinders uh, of wars that we really don't need to be in, I have to give it up to all the guys that are in the military and gals, I guess, um, because they do, you know, they do what they're told. Uh, I just wish what they were told actually made some sort of sense, but I don't have to worry, you know, about praising the administration or higher ups in the military or military intelligence, which is an oxymoron. But I do got to give it up to all the men and women of the armed forces because, dude, getting killed as part of your job description would kind of blow. So more power to all the fallen and all the living. All right, let's get into let's get into a little bit of community news. Yeah, I know I'm dying to do it. I'm dying, but I got to wait, bro. I, I literally have to wait. Um, I... Well, it's not really community news. I'm going to like read this from uh, Inno Silicon Miner. This is uh, their uh, Inno underscore Miner is their um, Twitter account. It says a clearance program for Inno Silicon T3 Plus is available now up to 60% discount for large quantity purchases. We will offer a six month warranty to capture the hydro season. Limited stock for clearance. Grab them while still available. Okay, why am I even giving a shit about this? Dude, hydro season. Okay, I, it's, you know, I mean, we've, we talk a lot about the rainy season in China and stuff like that, but I've, this is the first time that I've ever heard anybody actually kind of canonize it by giving it a label, hydro season. So I get the feeling that going forward, um, we might be hearing a lot more about hydro season hopefully it will completely replace bullshit alt season now dude the news analyst is surprised that there hasn't been a large-scale attack on bitcoin cash yet (laughs) adrian's munsky writing this one for coin telegraph sometime this morning uh analyst recently said that he is surprised the bitcoin cash did not yet fall victim to an attack given the fall in its hash rate Yassin, a crypto asset analyst at ARK Invest, said in a May 24th tweet, 
that the Bitcoin cash hash rate fell by 30%, my God, since its halving event, and only accounts for about 2% of the SHA-256 hash rate. Uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this. Elmandra, I think, is what it says. Elmandra now thinks it's only a question of time before somebody takes advantage of the network. Quote, surprised we haven't seen a large-scale attack yet. Yeah, well, I mean, why blow holes in the sinking ship? It's just a waste of ammunition. Whatever. According to data from BitInfo charts, the Bitcoin cash average daily hash rate fell by nearly 25.6% since its April 8th halving. Still, Elmandra presumably did his calculations based on May 23rd data, where the hash rate was down by about 33.5%. It is worth noting that the hash rate is currently much higher than where it initially was after falling by over 61%. As Cointelegraph reported earlier this month, Bitcoin's hash rate has shed around 25 to 40%. New blocks are generated remarkably slowly speed at a remarkably slow speed as what it should read, but the sentence is kind of jacked. And fees significantly higher since the having. Hayden Otto is a Bcash event organizer and founder of Bitcoin BCH, a BCH-based development firm. Our Otto argues that Elmandra was misled by the Bitcoin narrative that Bitcoin Cash can be easily hacked by a 51% attack. Ooh, dude, you're calling down the thunder, man. You're going to get some lightning on this one. Mm. According to Otto, quote, the formulas they use to determine the cost of a 51% attack does not consider important factors such as the incentive of miners, end quote. He believes that such an attack could not be executed as easily as many suggest, and this is why no such attack took place on the Bcash network. Otto added that Bcash's hash rate is currently about 3.5% of Bitcoins and has remained there for years. What, three? Whatever. According to Cointelegraph's calculations using Coinmetrics hash rate comparison chart data, BCH's hash rate is currently equivalent to 3% of BTCs. Furthermore, BCH's hash rate was equivalent to about 4% on May the 20th, 2019. This data seems to generally back Otto's point of view. He claims that an attack on Bcash isn't realistic. Quote, Bcash is currently about 3.5% of BTC's hash rate and has been at the level for more than a year. Despite this, there has been no attack because miners are profit-seeking and there is no incentive to attack. Any attacker will be challenged by honest miners defending the chain. It's like sewage workers defending their... what, Whatever. And the 10-block reorg protection neuters any attempt to security mine a longer chain, or see, I'm sorry, secretly mine a longer chain. The risk of losing money far outweighs any potential reward, which ultimately makes any attempt to 51 attack Bcash unviable, end quote. Still, as Otto himself pointed out, Bcash's hash rate is usually just about 3.5% of what Bitcoin's hash rate is. Because of this, BCH arguably needs such block reorg prevention measures more than Bitcoin, where the compute power needed to attempt such an attack would be prohibitively expensive. I don't know, man. What... I get juries out on that. I, 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 most of the time, I basically hear that it would cost, you know, X amount of dollars to do these attacks. There's a, a website. I cannot for the life of me remember the name of the website that takes all these calculations in consideration in real time represents what an hourly attack on like, you know, Tron would be or something like that. Um, still, though, again, I'm not sure if it's 
anything other than why would you waste the ammunition on torpedoing this particular garbage? It's not, I'm thinking that an attack hasn't happened because it's just not worth the time. I mean, you know, in, in that particular way, incentives are kind of working for Bcash. And it's not the incentive of the miner, it's the incentive of the people that want to, you know, that would want to attack the chain. It would just be throwing money in a hole. Because if you attack the chain and you crash the price, even though it's a shit coin, then you're literally doing it out of something other than profit motive. All right. So generally speaking, I got better things to do with my time than to throw money in a hole, you know, and most, most other people do too. So honestly, you know, it's, it's kind of like a big old nothing burger, but the question does remain, is there somebody out there who's got oodles of cash that is willing to throw it, throw some of it into a hole and attack this piece of crap? Because it doesn't, and it doesn't also, it also really doesn't matter because Bitcoin cash cryptocurrency does not look healthy after April having, says analyst. All right, Nick Chong writing this one for Bitcoinist.com sometime today. Just over a month prior to the Bitcoin block reward having on May the 11th forked cryptocurrency, Bcash experienced its first ever having. Unlike BTC's block reward reduction, it was not a bullish affair for the altcoin, which has suffered heavy fundamental losses since the April 8th event, a leading analyst has found. The underlying Bcash network has taken a strong blow after the April halving. Yassine Al-Mahandra, the, the same person, a crypto asset analyst at ARK Invest shared on May 23rd, BCH has sustained a strong blow and the analyst opined that he is genuinely surprised that we haven't seen a large-scale attack yet. Three leading factors backed his assertion. Bcash's hash rate is down 30% of the halving. Economic throughput is at all-time lows. And it costs less than $10,000 per hour to attack the blockchain. On-chain metrics such as hash rate and fees are not entirely correlated with cryptocurrency prices, yet the fact that so few transactions are taking place on Bcash suggests that there is a wider market disposition against using BCH, potentially threatening prices. Bcash's position as an altcoin, you spelled shitcoin wrong, is unique in that it just saw a block reward having. However, that's not to say that BCH is the only altcoin poised to underperform the broader cryptocurrency market. Per previous reports from Bitcoinist, Josh Alskowitz, a prominent crypto trader and analyst at Brave New Coin, observed on May the 15th that the chart of Bitcoin's dominant dominance has printed a textbook bull sign, a golden cross. Investopedia describes a golden cross as when a relatively short-term moving average crosses above a long-term moving average and is often followed by a bullish breakout. In this case, the 50-day simple moving average crossed above the 200-day simple moving average of BTC dominance, the percentage of the cryptocurrency market made up of Bitcoin. Previous occurrences of this happening, as can be seen in the chart above, have preceded strong crashes in altcoins against Bitcoin. Oskowitz's tepid outlook on altcoins was echoed by the lead technical analyst at crypto research firm Blockfire, quote, ETH. Heading for levels not seen since 2016. LTC trading below 2014-2016 prices. Ripple 
heading for levels from 2014, 2016, and 2017. The alt market looks like it could capitulate soon. Seems like the worst is yet to come, but afterwards should provide huge opportunities, end quote. The same analyst added in a more recent comment, postulating that the short-term outlook for non-BTC cryptocurrencies is bearish. So, alt season? I, 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 I don't think so. And when we get to the BitInfo charts, man, dude, the, for a long time, the uh, transaction throughput on Bcash has been looking freaking anemic. I mean, way anemic. And it's been that way for a long time. Usually, I remember when, you know, a, I think it's been about maybe six months, probably maybe even over nine months uh, ago when doing the show, uh, Dogecoin was con- consistently outperforming Bcash. And then all of a sudden, they jacked up their transaction throughput to something like 50,000 transactions a day. That has precipitously fallen. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very, very red dildo candle looking thing down to the bottom. So if you're holding the bag, you might want to get rid of it. But here's somebody who has a great big bag, massive four hundred and thirty one million dollar Bitcoin whale transfer makes splash among crypto traders. This was done yesterday. Daily Hodel staff writing this one for Daily Hodel. News of a BTC movement of nearly half a billion dollars is sweeping through the cryptoverse. Ivan, there's no way, of Ivan on tech spotted the massive transaction which moved 46,835 BTC worth $431 million at time of publishing. The fee for moving the trove of BTC was less than $3. Try doing that shit with gold or PayPal or, well, wait, what's, what's my buddy saying? Uh, hold on, hold on. Yeah, um, inevitable Bitcoin uh, commented on one of my tweets and it says, uh, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. That was, I'm sorry. I'm talking about Bitcoin barbecue. I'm sorry, man. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to read in the more anyway he says or venmo or zelly or paypal and i'm like yeah no shit move any of that move that amount of money on any platform whether gold silver paypal venmo and see how much that shit cost it was like 200 or it was like two dollars and 51 cents or something like that honestly half a billion dollars confirmed within the hour for two and a half bucks. Think about it, man. Honestly, dude, think about it. The total fees in BT value of BTC, by the way, were point zero 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 three two one six zero BTC. Just so you know. The receiving wallet, which was created in September of last year, has a long history of sending and receiving large amounts of crypto. The activity suggests it may be owned by an exchange or a custodian holding large amounts of BTC on behalf of its customers. Aside from this massive transfer, Bitcoin whales have been relatively quiet since the halving as BTC hovers in the $9,000 range. New data from the crypto analytics firm Glassnode shows the seven-day moving average of the number of Bitcoin whales holding 10,000 or more BTC is at its highest level since August of 2019. Meanwhile, the number of whales holding 1,000 BTC or more 
has been on the steadily on the rise and is now up 24% since October of 2018. Glassnode says the shift suggests that overall high net worth Bitcoin investors as a group are long BTC. Quote, the number of whales increased leading up to, oh, let me do that again. The number of whales entities with at least 1,000 BTC increased leading up to the March 12th market crash and accelerated during and after the crash. This suggests that large market players are accumulating BTC, providing an optimistic sign. The trend implies that despite an uncertain market environment, whales remain confident that now is a good time to be accumulating BTC, suggesting that they believe there is room for further growth. Now, that's the end of the article, but check it out, dude. I mean, think about this. All right. One transaction, and this one was included in block 631,200. Okay, so 631,200. $400 million. Okay, so we're talking like, you know, thousands, thou, you know, tens of thousands of BTC. Tens of thousands in one shot, which means you're sending half a billion dollars at the push of a mouse or the execution of a C of, of a command line interface uh, command. Okay. Think about that. That, I mean, it freaks me out when I make a transaction and I'm moving like, I don't know, like a BTC to a different wallet. It actually kind of freaks me out when I'm doing like four or $500 worth. Okay. I mean, to put it in terms of dirty, nasty, icky fiat. If somebody has any reservations at all about the security of this chain, we need to really start looking or like if somebody comes up to you and says, well, you know, you really can't trust the chain. Yeah, really? Then why are these people in one single button push sending half a billion dollars if it's so insecure, if it's so flawed? If it's so screwed up, I mean, you're, you're talking about somebody who's like, probably like, I don't know, they may have ice for blood. I'm not sure. Or it may be the fact that they're so used to it that it's like, it always works that they, maybe they don't freak out when they push that button or, or execute that command line. Right. Just think about it. Wyoming's Congressional Blockchain Committee holds its first meeting. Gee, I just wish they'd stop the shit coinery. Colin Post writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime on May the 22nd. After graduating from task force to select committee this week, the blockchain crew within Wyoming State Legislature held their first meeting today. On May the 22nd, Wyoming Select Committee on Blockchain, Financial Technology, and Digital Innovation Technology convened in full for the very first time, albeit virtually. Initially announced on May the 17th, the new Select Committee evolved from the previous Blockchain Task Force. In today's meeting, Chairman Chris Rothfuss, hmm, interesting name, commented on the committee's new powers, quote, this is a select committee that is able to sponsor its own legislation. In the past, it was a task force that was not able to do that. However, like a task force, a select committee has a limited time span. <clears throat> Speaking before the committee via Zoom, where were leaders of Wyoming's Division of Banking and Secrecy of State. Oh, sorry, let me do that again because I was about to sneeze. 
Wyoming's Division of Banking and Secretary of State, as well as industry players like Marco Santori, who recently joined Kraken as chief legal officer. The meeting broadly focused on digital property rights, but committee members saw broader goals, especially amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Representative Jared Olson expressed interest in, quote, anything that we can do as our emergency orders come out to allow us to interact and interface with our government more easily, end quote. Wyoming is the least populous of the 50 states, but plays an outsized role in crypto regulation. Albert Fortner, commissioner of the Division of Banking, commented on Wyoming's role in the United States. Quote, at times, Wyoming is a flyover state. And a lot of times, I prefer that. So do I, buddy. Because it gets us off the radar of federal bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I like being a flyover state. I, I am I am all about that shit. If West Coast and East Coast want to, you know, I don't know, have dates with each other or whatever, then please, by all means, do not have a layover. Please do fly over. In the field of crypto, Wyoming has led United States regulators. Last spring, the state formally recognized cryptocurrencies as money, a contentious debate federally. The state also featured in Cointelegraph's August rankings uh, in as the most welcoming in the country. Okay, so there you go. Again, I really wish Wyoming would stop halt with the shit coinery. They're not going to, okay? Nobody's actually going to halt the shit coinery. We really need to just come to grips with the fact that really shitty money is going to be riding the coattails of Bitcoin for a very, very long time. Like Ethereum. Ethereum 2.0 delays amid other proof-of-stake blockchain launches. Oh, a delay? Really? Damn, trademark two weeks, bro. Christopher Owen writing this one May 23rd for the Daily Hodel. Holy shit, it's not the Daily Hodel staff? They actually put it. Wow. Dude. Oh, it's because he's writing this from Hodelix. Whatever. The launch of Ethereum may be delayed again as the developers schedule the upgrade of the proof-of-stake algorithm for the month of June 2020, taking into account all of the factors surrounding the highly anticipated launch, the statements made by the development team can be construed as an almost official promise. Though the statements may sound optimistic to most part of the crypto community, the fact remains that the update is still not in sight. The main reason for the note of caution are the presence of multiple bugs in the system and the fact that competitors are striving to outpace Ethereum in being the first on the market to have proof of stake successfully implemented. (sighs) The incessant incessant hunt for code bugs is the main reason for the postponement of the Ethereum 2.0 launch that had initially been slated for January of 2020. It is true that finding and eliminating bugs is a laborious task in such routines as security audits, fuzzing, detecting, and fixing bugs bugs can take months and never come to an end, as the code itself is an infinite stream that can never be perfected. Since it is the clients who are responsible for storing the data of the blockchain and validating blocks, it is important that they be fully synchronized. (laughs) Good luck. Seven individual clients are currently under development for Ethereum 2.0, and most of them are working on optimizations for the Shleji test network, which is the first Ethereum 2.0 multi-client test network that simulates the core network environment. Uh, And it just goes on about the the Shlezi test. But uh, honestly, all you really need to know about this shit is that Ethereum is probably probably delayed again. And if it does come out, 
it's the the incentive structure behind proof of stake means if you're a bag holder, you're gonna get owned. I we we saw it with Steam, and I think I've got a Steam uh, a Steam story up here later. But I mean, honestly, guys, dude. How many times are you going to listen to the boy wonder tell you it's right around the corner or trademark two weeks or whatever? How many times? Honestly, how many times do you have to go through this before you just dump your bags and get into something solid? Eh, whatever. That's going to do it for Morning Roundup Part 1. Let's do some vitals. All right, before we get into talking about money, I want to give a big old shout out to Bass Peters. That's Bass, B-A-S underscore zero two on Twitter. Dude, thanks for the sats, bro. I mean, he, he, he DM'd me and dropped some Satoshis on my tipping me, which was, I haven't seen a tip come through on tipping me in a long time, <laughs> it, which is fine, but it was like, it works exactly like expected. I looked at my tip and me account and sure enough, the, there it was a whole shit ton of Satoshis, which always makes me happy. Now let's get into, uh, you know, since it's Memorial day, uh, markets aren't open, so we're not going to do traditional shit. I actually caught myself this time of not reading market data that was like seven days old or whatever, like I did the last time, whatever. Anyway, so Bitcoin is at a price. We've had a dip. Yeah. 8,000. $813 is, is that going to be my high or low? It looks like that's going to be my high. Uh, I've got a low, looks like it's going to be over at hit BTC at $8,748. Only a quarter million transactions have been performed over the last 24 hours. That's pretty low, man. Uh, our tra average transactions per hour is like 10,000. And sub 1 million BTC or 853,000 BTC have been sent in that period. That gives us an average BTC send per hour of 35,552 with an average transaction value of 3.5 BTC. The median transaction values are still high, 0.043 BTC, which represents about 380 bucks uh, USD. Block times are still high at 12 minutes and 19 seconds. And let's see, 0.74 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. And over the last 24 hours, only 87 BTC have been taken in fees. <laughs> Good Lord, the Corona is getting to me. Okay, so hash rate. Um, hash rate has, we've had, well, in the last 24 hours, we've only had about a quarter percent drop, but clearly, I mean, we've had a drop from our all-time highs of somewhere around 136 exahashes a second. We're chilling out at right at 90 exahashes per second, according to BitInfo charts. And I'm going to refresh my node so that I can figure out what uh, my stuff looks like. So... Uh, the last time nobody did any work on Bitcoin at all was on the 23rd. Oh, wow. Two full days before a GitHub last commit. Damn. Ethereum at 203, Bcash at 230, BSV at 184, Litecoin at 42, almost 43 bucks. 
Ethereum Classic at $6.80. Dogecoin holding it strong at 0.0025 and at 33,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. It's basically pummeling the crap out of Litecoin, but it's doing some severe body blows to Bcash. Dude, remember what I was saying about uh, its transactions? Bcash transactions have dropped to, uh, I'm looking at 13,865 transactions were made the last 24 hours. That's only 568 transactions per hour. Oh man, dude, that's just God. Okay, no, no, yeah, 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 it changed a little bit, but not by much. Yeah, 568 transactions per hour on average. Good Lord, have mercy. Let's see what my note has to say. I'm looking at a hash rate uh, of 92.5 exahashes per second. I think that's in the last hour. In I think, yeah, in the last day, the average over the day. The average over the week has been a little lower, 91.4 exahashes per second. I'm seeing uh, pretty, like only 8,536 pending transactions in the mempool. All the miners seem to be doing their job, at least over the last 10 blocks. Uh, let's see what Clark Moody has to say about uh, that stuff. Let's see. Clark Moody is showing that there's 13,000 transactions uh, waiting to clear the mempool or my mempool. And we have 62 blocks to clear. That seems a little odd. I'm not sure if that's exactly right. Let's see what, uh, let's see. It's saying 61 megabytes are are waiting to clear. That doesn't seem correct for only 13,000 transactions. But hey, it is what it is. It's Clark Moody, dude. I, and I, I, I love bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard because there's all kinds of stuff, including this. From the Lightning Network, we have 909 BTC is as capacity total for the Lightning Network. That's $7.98 million US in liquidity, over 7,300, or sorry, 7,033 nodes, representing 35,332 channels. Tor capacity is holding it at 403.3 BTC giving us a percentage of the Tor capacity of the network as 44.3%. There are 2,036 Tor nodes now. And that's going to do it for your vitals. Welcome to part two of this news you can use. Hacker claims to have stolen data from Ledger, Trezor, and KeepKey. A cybersecurity firm tweeted screenshots from a hacker selling stolen data from Trezor, Ledger, and KeepKey users. Investigations are underway, says Matthew DeSalvo, writing for Decrypt.co. Sometime, what is this? Uh, sometime yesterday... A hacker reportedly st selling stolen data from three popular hardware wallets, prompting an investigation by at least two of the companies allegedly involved. The hacker claims to have stolen data from Trezor Ledger and Shapeshift's wallet KeepKey. The allegations were republished on Twitter today by cybersecurity firm Under the Beach. Under the Beach <clears throat> added that the data was stolen due to an exploit of e-commerce website Shopify. It posted screenshots in which the hacker advertised that the names, addresses, phone numbers, and emails 
of the hardware wallet users were for sale. Passwords were not included. Trezor's response through uh, via Twitter was, there are rumors spreading that our shop database has been hacked through a Shopify exploit. Our eShop does not use Shopify, but we are nonetheless investigating the situation. We've also we've been also routinely purging old customer records from the database to minimize the possible impact. That was tweeted out on May the 24th at 8.30 a.m. Sounds grim, but Candace So, a communications manager at Shopify, told Decrypt, quote, we investigated these claims and found no evidence to substantiate them and no evidence of any compromise of Shopify's systems, end quote. The hacker, who was responsible for hacking the Ethereum forum back in 2016, maintains the veracity of their claims. Only big money would be accepted for the data, the hacker said, according to another screenshot published by Under the, Under the Breach. Screenshots published by Under the Breach shows that the hacker also claimed to have full SQL database for investment platform Bank to the Future. Under the breach said it contacted Bank to the Future, but couldn't get them to take it seriously. But two of the other companies did take the allegations seriously. Trezor, Trezor said on Twitter that it didn't use Shopify, making a Shopify-related hack impossible. We are nonetheless investigating the situation. We've also been... Yeah, we've already read that, dude. Uh, you gave us the tweet. Ledger also put out a statement saying it is taking the matter seriously. Ledger's tweet as of May 24th at about 5.39 a.m. says, Rumors pretend our Shopify database has been hacked through a Shopify exploit. Our e-commerce team is currently checking these allegations by analyzing the so-called hacked database. And so far... It doesn't match our real database. We continue investigations and are taking the matter seriously. Shapeshift, the company that owns KeepKey, had not commented on the allegations by the time this article was published. Shapeshift did not respond to questions from Decrypt by press time, but we will update this story with any responses. Let's see. Yeah, okay. So uh, Shapeshift has yet to comment on this. It'd be funny if Shapeshift was the only one who actually did get hacked uh and it really kind of wouldn't surprise me because uh keep there's been other keep key problems as of late anyway so and stay away from shapeshift that is a terrible ter it's not even a bitcoin company anymore i mean i i i was i'm trying to get out of the habit of calling it a bad or good bitcoin company you either are a bitcoin company or you are not shapeshift says they are but they are not as Bitcoin falls to two-week lows, small investors look to be buying. This is written by Amkar Godbol. God, I love that name. Amkar Godbol, writing this one for Coindesk sometime this morning. Prices fell by 9.8% last week to register Bitcoin's biggest weekly decline since the second week of March, according to Coindesk Bitcoin Price Index. A two-week low of 8,630 was registered early on Monday with prices last seen at 8,730 down over 11% from the post having high of 9,960 registered on May the 18th. Despite the price drop or perhaps because of it, the number of addresses holding smaller amounts of Bitcoin has continued to rise. Dude, by the dip. The number of unique addresses holding at least 0.01 BTC, which is about 87 bucks, rose to a new high of 8,478,746 on Sunday. Wow. According to 
data provided by blockchain intelligence firm Glassnode. Meanwhile, the number of addresses holding at least 0.1 BTC, or about 870 bucks, also rose to a lifetime high, reaching 3,053,004 on Friday. Both metrics regained their upward trajectory following the May 11th mining reward halving. Quote, retail investors are likely in an accumulation phase, said Ki Young Zhu, CEO of blockchain analytics firm CryptoQuant. The dip demand may be associated with the bullish narrative that Bitcoin could repeat history by charting a solid price rally over the next 12 months. Cryptocurrency witnessed a 30% pullback in the four, four weeks following its second reward having uh, on July 9th, 2016. Yeah, okay. However, the decline was erased in the subsequent months and prices rallied to record highs by March 2016. Prominent trading firms also retaining a constructive outlook on the cryptocurrency. Quote, the price pullback was expected and the long-term bias remains bullish. We would accumulate if prices dropped to the $6,000, $8,000 range, said Darius Sitt, co-founder and managed director of Singapore-based QCP Capital. That said... The growth in the number of small addresses does not necessarily all represent new individual investors. This is because a single user can hold cryptocurrency in multiple addresses. Exchanges and custodial services also tend to hold Bitcoins in multiple addresses. Quote, wallet management systems of virtual asset service providers have become more complex and granular. Their wallet clusters include more small wallets for security, etc., said Jew. As such, it is difficult to gauge exactly how much of the small address growth has been driven by new investor participation. Even if small investor participation is increasing, it is unlikely to have a big impact on prices as the market is still dominated by large players, popularly known as whales. The number of addresses holding at least 10,000 BTC and 1,000 BTC have declined over the last two weeks, according to Glassnode data. Moreover, Options market activity suggests a deeper price drop could be in the offing in the near term. Quote, traders are buying out of the money puts, said Chris Thomas, head of digital assets at Swiss Quote Bank. A put option represents a bearish bet on the cryptocurrency, while a call option represents a bullish bet. An out-of-the-money put option has a strike price that is lower than the market price of the underlying asset. Thomas expects Bitcoin to move toward an $8,000 to $8,200 range in the short term. That looks likely as per the charts, as the cryptocurrency has breached a trend line rising from March lows. Bitcoin fell by 5% on Monday, violating the support of the 2.5-month-long bullish trend line marked. The breakdown is backed by deeper bars on the MACD histogram, a sign of strengthening bearish momentum. Quote, however, the relative strength index is neutral or going sideways. Yuri, Missouri, Yuri, 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 Mazur, head of data analytics at cryptocurrency exchange CEX.io, told Coindesk while adding that, quote, there is no clear understanding where BTC will go currently. It is It may either retrace back to 6,500 or reach 10,000. We may get a clear indication of the further direction in the nearest days, end quote. The immediate bearish case would weaken if prices rise above Sunday's high 
of $9,310 on the back of strong volumes. That said, a convincing move above 10000 may be needed to restore the bullish trend. Quote, after the halving took place, there were practically no buyers for Bitcoin, but in the range of 9900 to $10,000, a zone of hard technical resistance formed that is very difficult to overcome under the current conditions, said Mazur. So there you go. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's definitely broken a trend line from uh, that was set on the dip on like somewhere around the 11th. I think it was like March the 11th. And then it just steadily rose up and we've breached that trend line to the bottom side. So it's Bitcoin, dude. I mean, if you can't handle the heat, you need to get out of the kitchen. But Someone who's cooking it up is Raul Powell. He sees BTC heading to $10 trillion market cap as hedge fund managers weigh future of Bitcoin. Now, this was all the way back from May the 17th, but it's kind of good that, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to read this one, even though it's older, uh, because it is about Raul and what he, what he says. So let's, let's uh, take a look at this. This is from Christopher Attard who's writing for the Daily Hodel. And Christopher is also from HodelX. It's a HodelX guest post. Amid a sea of optimism in the Bitcoin space, in part due to the recent revelation that hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones owns BTC, macro trader Raul Powell reiterated his projections of a $10 trillion asset while investors are increasingly looking at Bitcoin as a valid investment vehicle. In a recent appearance on the Kaiser Report, Publicized two days after the Bitcoin halving, Powell spoke about how a transition period for Bitcoin would signal the world's hedge funds to buy the asset to stay competitive. Despite moving into the mainstream consciousness during the 2017 bull run, Bitcoin has yet to become meaningful to people, according to Powell. With its current market cap of roughly $175 billion, Bitcoin can be compared to an average United States company. Quote, for me, if it is the future of the financial system, that's the size of a company like Bed Bath & Beyond or something, end quote. However, Powell believes that once Bitcoin transitions from a niche investment to an asset class, things will change. Responding to Kaiser about the possibility of Bitcoin increasing 30-fold, as suggested by Paul Tudor Jones, Raul remarked, Quote, I think that it's valuation over time. If it becomes the ecosystem we believe it will, and it will take the whole ecosystem with it, I think, then yes, a $10 trillion number is easily achievable within that process. That takes it from being a niche to an asset. And once it's a full asset class, it becomes investable for others, end quote. Pal also suggested that, quote, the people who don't participate in it are all eyeing it saying, do I need to do something or not? And the only arbiter of that is the price. (laughs) The market is basically short all the way up and scrambles to get in. So that's very interesting. That's why I'm interested in this halving period to see over the next 18 months, how much capital this brings into the marketplace. And I think it's going to surprise many people. On May the 8th, 
American investor Paul Tudor Jones got into Bitcoin with his Tudor BVI fund, allocating somewhere around 2% of his portfolio to the burgeoning asset. Powell believes that Jones could end up convincing other big players, including his fellow billionaire friends, Stanley Druckenmiller, to buy into Bitcoin. Powell unambiguously said, quote, if it, Bitcoin, does generate alpha, they're not going to have a choice, end quote. Just this week, venture capitalist and founder of Social Capital, Chamath, I can't pronounce the dude's name, remarked in a CNBC interview, quote, now all of a sudden, even Paul Tudor Jones is looking at Bitcoin. And the reason is because we are in this massive deflationary cycle. I still struggle to find anything that is as uncorrelated to anything and everything else than Bitcoin, end quote. The billionaire venture capitalist also criticized the Federal Reserve's actions, which, in his view, only serve to exacerbate the deflationary trend caused by technology companies that have literally been training billions of consumers to not really spend money. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's an interesting way to put it. So interestingly enough, hedge fund billionaire and founder of Bridgewater Associates, Ray Dalio, has yet to enter the Bitcoin landscape, despite his famous cash is trash slogan. Earlier in April, the legendary investor said that he believes most currencies will prove to be a losing bet in this new era characterized by the corona outbreak. Quote, I believe that increasingly there will be questions by bondholders who are receiving negative real and nominal interest rates while there is a lot of printing of money about whether the debt assets they are holding are good storeholds of wealth. I believe that cash, which is a non-interest-bearing money, will not be the safest asset to hold. Interestingly enough, Dalio and Powell echo a similar sentiment when it comes to comparing the current crisis with the 1930s depression. Dalio has defended his skepticism towards cash by pointing towards historical precedent to which Powell also subscribes. He wrote, quote, Now, like in the 1930 to 1945 period, interest rates have hit 0% and money printing and buying financial assets doesn't get the money and credit to go where policy makers want it to go. So the central government borrows a lot and the central bank prints a lot of money and creates a lot of credit to buy this debt, which the central government spends to target what they want to save. <laughs> oh, God, end quote. When one puts all the pieces together, there is a very real sense that hedge funds are wising up to the fact that Bitcoin might soon become an inevitable part of their portfolio, though admittedly not at the same time. So there's that's going to do it for that. I'm kind of under, you know, I, I'm operating under the thesis that hedge funds, if they could, because you kind of got to report what assets that you're buying. Okay, so I would want to say that they're buying it under the table and not on the market. They're buying that they'd be buying OTC just in case. However, I'm not sure that that's actually the case, because if you're regulated, if you have the shit regulated out of you, especially in the United States, like we do, then anything that you buy as a hedge fund, you're going to have to release that publicly or, or at least it'll it have to release that news to the regulators as to what you've bought, how much you bought, when you bought it, and all that kind of stuff. And eventually that would leak out into the mainstream public media, and we haven't actually seen that. Usually when a hedge fund buys, like uh, uh, you know Paul Tudor Jones or whatever, then they make the statement themselves. 
Um, so if you're kind of sitting back thinking that they're buying under the table, if there's a mechanism to do that and not have to report, then yes, I think that they're buying under the table. However, I just don't see a world, at least in the United States regulatory framework, where you could a hedge fund could buy anything under the table or buy anything at all and not have to report it because of regulatory stuff, right? So Binance. Oh God. Uh I this is kind of making me a little sick. It's not that I like Binance because I don't trade. I don't use Binance. But Binance, you know, by and large has been a pretty decent company, but this headline kind of makes me kind of makes my guts kind of twirl. Binance turns back on Steam Rebels, backs Justin Sun's hard fork. This was May the 23rd by Greg Thompson writing for Decrypt.co. Despite claiming to oppose the ideals of the controversial hard fork, Binance will now honor its terms. Binance today announced that it would sync its network up to the controversial Steam hard fork 0.23. This fork seized and drained over $5 million worth of coins from accounts belonging to a rebel faction that had previously challenged the authority of Tron CEO Justin Sun. Sun had recently bought the social network site that runs on the Steam blockchain, Steemit, but angered his community so much that they implemented a hard fork to Hive, a near-exact copy of Steemit. There was one major difference. Justin Sun and his supporters were not eligible for free Hive airdrop tokens. <laughs> Popcorn. There's not enough corn grown in this country to, to make this much popcorn. Steam's hard fork 0.23 targeted accounts that took part in the Hive airdrop. Binance announcement states that it had initially declined to support the network upgrade when it was first notified about it on May the 15th, referring to Sun's decision to take the money from <coughs> Steam wallets. It wrote, quote, we do not condone this type of behavior and believe that blockchain should not be used as a tool for censorship or editing user balances. However, Binance has now reversed that decision. Binance will sync up its network to version 0.23 of Steam, claiming that its customers could not transact on Steam if Binance did not honor the hard fork. Binance post today notes that its initial decision to avoid upgrading to 0.23 had already negatively affected its customers that hold Steam. Avoiding 0.23, quote, is not a long-term solution, as they are currently unable to move their tokens on the blockchain, end quote, it wrote. So, Binance will sync up to Steam 0.23 after all, lending support to the terms of the hard fork it previously opposed, quote, Thus, in the interest of our users currently holding Steam, Binance has decided to support this upgrade to, to provide users with the freedom to use their Steam tokens as they see fit, it wrote. A former Steam witness and one of the victims of the account seizure, seizures, the pseudonymous Marky Mark, told Decrypt that Binance's explanation was hypocritical. <coughs> Sorry, guys. He said, quote, Binance is not okay with the theft of the Steam, but since they have customers with Steam, well, then it's okay, end quote. Binance CEO Shengpeng uh, Zhao commented on the decision on Twitter, telling observers that the nature of the situation has forced Binance to pick sides. To keep this in mind, <clears throat> the TLDR, this is uh, CZ Binance's or 
Shang Peng Hao. This is his tweet. TLDR, we try to stay neutral, but some situations force us to have an opinion. We are totally against zeroing other people's assets. That's not what blockchain is about. Okay, so that's the end of the tweet. Whom that $5 million ought to belong to is still disputed. When Hard Fork.23 went live, an anonymous hero managed to divert the seized funds of to the perceived safety of the Bittrex exchange. Bittrex had initially criticized Hard Fork.23, but later announced it would honor the terms of the Hard Fork and would not be redistributing the seized funds. Back in March, when Sun bought Steam at the social network site that sits atop the Steam at blockchain, he also gained access to $12 million worth of pre-mined Steam coins owned by the blockchain's creator, Ned Scott. Scammer. Since Sun could have used that money to dictate the future of the network, the Steam community, who didn't trust Sun, good job, voted to remove Sun's access to the funds. In response, Sun used his immense wealth, as well as his friends at cryptocurrency exchanges Binance and Huobi, to stage a hard fork that restored his access to the pre-mined coins. A large section of the Steam community, who by then was sick of Sun, hard forked away (laughs) from the Sun-dominated blockchain to form Hive. Hive is a near-exact copy of the Steam blockchain, apart from one thing. Unlike other Steam users, Justin Sun and his supporters were not eligible for free airdropped Hive tokens. Both sides have threatened legal action. Justin Sun is working with law enforcement against whoever, quote, stole the $5 million in seized funds during the hard fork. (laughs) Sorry, allergies are getting to me, man. The victims of the seizures in turn are also exploring legal options. Australian lawyer Andrew Hamilton, CEO of JPB, Liberty, gave his pro bono legal opinion of the events of Steam Hard Fork 0.23. He alleged that Justin Sun was responsible for theft and criminal conspiracy. What on earth will Sun do next? So, shit coinery aside, right? Um, there's a lesson here. Contentious hard forks are always going to have really bad and unintended consequences. I mean, there's the thing with the thing with nature is that in complex systems, when you think you're doing something that's just, I don't know, easy or something like that, um, the consequences of your actions in a complex system, they, you, you can't determine what those uh, consequences will be. It's impossible. There's no way. There's no way to tell if a butterfly beats its wings in Asia that it won't cause a tsunami halfway around the world. Now, that's what I mean about like this whole force thing. I mean, like you can, you can kind of hear it in CZ's voice. Well, not his voice, but in his writing, uh, we're, or where he says in his tweet, we try to stay neutral, but some situations force us to have quote, an opinion. End quote. It's actually an opinion is in quotes in his tweet. Now, remember when, um, if you weren't around during the times of, of the, all the contentious hard forks off of Bitcoin and then, uh, which spawned the abomination that is Bcash, which then went through their own hard fork that spawned the, I would say it's even a worse abomination than Bcash is BSV. Okay. Um, what happened is that wallet makers, all of a sudden, the people that make wallets like Ledger, Trezor, 
Keep Key. Uh, those are just the hardware wallets. And then you had like all the people that were like all the wallets that uh, like on exchanges. All of a sudden, they're they're the people that the their support crew have to work round the clock to build new wallets to support these the the birth of these shitcoin abominations right this is the same exact thing it seems different but it's not really the steam it fork is it, it seems different, but again, it's not. It's just the fork of some shitcoin. That's all. The fact that there's some kind of media platform that sits on top of the damn thing doesn't. That's in, in in this discussion. That's just a distraction. But here we are, one more freaking time, where there are people that will face legal consequences from their own users if they don't get a whole bunch of people out of bed in the middle of the fucking night to come work on this shitty ass system again. I mean, I remember it ha- there were so many wallets during the hard forks, during the hard fork season of Bitcoin. There were so many wallet developers that were just, they had to be exhausted. And again, this is why I never shitcoin. This is why I Bitcoin, because I don't have to worry about any of this. I don't have to worry if Shang Zhang is going to uh, support my new shitcoin. I don't have to worry if Ledger is going to have my ability to, to withdraw my stupid ass B gold or whatever, or B diamond, or God forbid any of the other metals or precious gem names of Bitcoin from all the shit forks that happened. But they all had to develop this crap. And every time they said, no, we're not going to do it. The first thing that happened is like a whole bunch of users like, then we will sue you. It's an interesting situation where all of a sudden something is birthed and watching all the repercussions happen. Again, there are no simple actions in a complex system. Always remember that. Even it like like all of it, like let's say that you've been mowing your lawn four inches high for like forever, and all of a sudden, you know, like for ten years or whatever, and all of a sudden you decide that you want to just cut that son of a bitch short. Seems easy, but there are consequences to cutting it to where it's like you know a quarter inch or a half inch high after the all the plants in your lawn because grass is a bunch of plants. All of a sudden, after 10 years of being four inches tall in the sunlight, now they're only like a half inch tall. There's And there's consequences with how much sunlight is now penetrating the canopy of the grass and hitting the actual soil. So the temperature of the soil changes. And all the critters that were used to living in that soil, right? Now they are living under a different set of circumstances. They're living under a different temperature regime. It's going to be hotter. And they're living under a different moisture regime because the plants have a tendency to shade the soil, which decreases evaporation. I mean, I could go on and on and on. You change things in a complex system or you birth something inside of a complex system, you're going to have problems. Okay? Stop with the shit coinery. And speaking of, Iranian president calls for national crypto mining strategy. This was May the 21st. This is out of Coindesk's Patty Baker. 
Iranian President Hassan Rouhani has ordered the government to draw up a renewed national approach for the emerging crypto industry. Chairing Iran's Economic Coordination Headquarters, a seminar for the National Economic Strategy earlier this week, Rouhani told officials from the Central Bank of Iran, Energy Department, and Information and Communication Technology Ministries that they needed to devise a new national strategy for crypto mining, including regulation and mining revenue, Iranian news site Ars Digital reported on Wednesday. <clears throat> The news comes barely two days after the Iranian parliament published a bill proposing to apply the country's strict foreign exchange and currency smuggling regulation to cryptocurrencies. The new parliamentary law would also require crypto exchanges operating in the country to first register with the CBI, possibly in a move to try and prevent too much capital leaving the country. Penalties for smuggling in Iran can include fines and imprisonment. I'm surprised they doesn't chop your freaking head off. Just months ago, the administration of Donald Trump raised concern that Iranians were using digital assets in order to circumvent sanctions. <laughs> Duh, you think? Iran was one of the first countries to officially recognize cryptocurrency mining as a legitimate industry back in July of 2019. The government now issues mining licenses, giving companies the right to mine and then sell off any digital assets produced. An industry report in January said Iran had issued over 1,000 such licenses in its first six months. Iran currently has a 4% share in Bitcoin's total hash rate, according to the Bitcoin mining map more than double what it was at the beginning of September 2019. It's unclear why Rouhani wants Iranian officials to revisit Bitcoin mining regulation. With the clampdown on value leaving the country in the form of cryptocurrencies, it's possible the president wants to ensure miners, too, aren't taking their money away from the government's clutches. <laughs> clutches. I love it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Craig Stephen Wright is a liar and a fraud. He doesn't have the keys used to sign this message. The Lightning Network is a significant achievement. <clears throat> However, we need to continue work on improving on-chain capacity. Unfortunately, the solution is not to just change a constant in the code or to allow powerful participants to force out others. We are all Satoshi. to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy cork suckers. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you don't know already, <clears throat> uh, Zectro1, at Zectro, the number one, tweeted out sometime early this morning. It looks like uh, 5.34 a.m. my time. Someone just signed a message calling Craig a fraud. From 145 addresses Craig claimed were in his Tulip Trust, I verified the first few addresses on the list and their signatures and presence on Craig's list checks out. <laughs> He's got a couple more tweets here, so let's read them. He gives a, a, a picture of the Tulip Trust list and provides a link to the list. After that tweet, Zectra goes on to say, 
<clears throat> some apologists are lying and trying to conflate the Tulip Trust list I just linked with the Shatters list. Here is how the plaintiffs introduce Exhibit 7. Here is how AA defines the CSW filed list. And this is the title page of the Tulip Trust link I give in the previous tweet. Next tweet and last one down. Also, you can count the number of addresses listed in Exhibit 7 and cross-reference that with how many AA says are in the Tulip Trust, which is 16,404, versus how many there are on the Shatters list, which is 20, 27,973. Exhibit 7 has 16,404 addresses listed. It's not the Shatters list. It's the Trust list. Okay, so what the hell does this mean? Um, if you're new, okay. And you're not really aware of what's going on with Craig, Wright, He keeps claiming he's the creator of Bitcoin. He is apparently the chief of the BSV hard fork, which forked off of BCH. And we can all thank Roger Ver for bringing Calvin air and Craig Wright into our little world, <clears throat> at least actually, well, Craig Wright has been saying this shit since 2014, starting with a GQ interview. But now he's, since he has his own actual blockchain, I guess, well, I say actual blockchain. I probably shouldn't say it that way. But anyway, he's, you know, the fact that he's even a, a could be seen as a legit player is kind of sickening. So he's got this trial going on. He's said that he owns all these addresses and 145 of the addresses that he says he owned moved a little bit of Satoshi's around. And when they made the transaction, they were signing the same message to what I can tell is all 145. Now let's look at this one. This is uh, from Cointelegraph that's talking about this. So let's see what Andre Shevchenko has to say out of Cointelegraph, clearly writing this sometime this morning, and it's getting close to afternoon. But before I do, I want to take a moment to uh, remind everybody that Calvin Ayer is one of the people behind BSV and is probably the baby daddy or money daddy or whatever you want to call it. Sugar Daddy? Yeah, I think he's Craig's Sugar Daddy. I think the only way that Craig is able to fund all these lawsuits is that he's taking money out of out of uh, Calvin's uh, very deep wallet because Calvin is a degen gambler and scammer. <clears throat> so, But be that as it may, he has shit tons of money and Craig is just spending a whole bunch of it to fund his ego. A reminder that Calvin's birthday is today. So Calvin woke up on his birthday with this news. Craig Wright's claim to thousands of Bitcoin addresses is shaken once again as 145 addresses with BTC from 2009 signed a message saying he is a fraud. A message signed by 145 wallets containing Bitcoin mined in the first years calls Craig Wright, a liar and a fraud. The message was published on May the 25th with a list of 145 addresses and their corresponding signatures. This seemingly proves that the addresses do indeed belong to the person broadcasting the message. <clears throat> and then they read the message that I already read you for the train wreck. <clears throat> Notably, Cointelegraph was able to verify that all of the addresses can be found among the list of thousands claimed by Craig Wright in the case against Ira Kleeman. 
Wright has, on multiple occasions, failed to produce proof of ownership of the alleged fortune of Satoshi Nakamoto, who is believed to have mined more than 1 million BTC. An easy way of doing so is by signing a message with a cryptographic private key of the wallet in question, which can be checked with the public key. Given that Wright tried to evade every occasion where he would have been forced to conclusively prove ownership, Many in the community doubt that he owns those Bitcoin, and thus that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. <clears throat> the, signed ad or the signed message bears some similarity to a 2015 message coming from Satoshi's email address saying, I am not Craig Wright. We are all Satoshi. While the first part of the new statement rehashes the same concept, the message then expresses an opinion on the debates that ravaged Bitcoin before Bcash spun off into its own chain. The blocks mined by this unknown person falls outside of the Potoshi pattern, which is the basis behind the claims that Satoshi mined more than 1 million BTC. Nevertheless, there is no absolute certainty in identifying which blocks are Satoshis and which are not. It seems likely that the similarity is a tribute to the alleged Satoshi message. The early Bitcoin miner appears to have middle ground position between Bitcoin and Bcash. While he praises the Lightning Network, he also argues for higher on-chain capabilities. However, he does not believe that raising the block size or changing a constant in the code is the solution. This is the second time in less than a week that an early miner suddenly showed activity. The Kleeman case rests entirely on the assumption that Wright is Satoshi, which would entitle Ira Kleeman to half of those Bitcoin. Wright has already been accused of perjury and forging documents, and the early miner's activity puts him in a tough spot for continuing to claim that he is Satoshi. It is becoming ever more obvious that Wright has no access to those coins, which would nullify the long-running case set to enter trial on July the 6th. Ugh. Dude, there's your smoldering pile over there in the corner. I'd like to say more about this, but I think the shit speaks for itself. Although I will end by saying you're just, I mean, what what's with this last sentence? It's becoming ever more obvious. Dude, it was obvious in 2014 during the initial gentleman's quarterly interview that he could not prove jack shit right? Come on, guys, it's over. You're, if, you're, if you're holding BSV, I seriously consider getting rid of it as soon as humanly possible. This is not investment advice, but burn the bags, bro. Burn the bags. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. Dad, are we pyromaniacs? Yes, we are, son. Arson? A-R-S-O-N? Yes, we are. Whatever. Okay, you get it. Uh, chickens are getting big. Chickens are getting way salty, too. So there's some, uh, some behavior that I've noticed as of late. Uh, they're sparring with each other. And I guess this is normal. They don't seem to be hurting each other. When I mean sparring, what they do is they kind of like run up like head first to each other, like from a fair distance. 
and then stop <clears throat> like millimeters away, like beak to beak, looking at each other. And then the hackles, the, the feathers on their neck and uh, base of their head raise up. And then they kind of stand there like squaring off and then they just go about their business. Saturday morning, I let them all out. And it was like for the first five minutes, because usually they just go go to start pecking and stuff like that. But for the first five minutes Saturday morning, every single one of the birds were squaring off with every other bird. It was, it was hilarious. I mean, it was absolutely hilarious. So there's uh, some interesting behavior there as far as chickens are concerned. Um, other than that, there's really not a whole lot going on. Oh, well, okay. My arm, if you're interested in what's going on with my arm, I'm in physical therapy. And if you're also interested in the only two episodes last week, a combination of my arm and my brother-in-law being in town for a full week kind of made it where I was kind of just, yeah, whatever. But physical therapy on this particular situation includes, and I shit you not, flossing my nerve bundle like dental floss. I'm serious, man. There are exercises that they've got me doing that is designed to take the nerve bundle and tense it and move it through its sheath from the tips of my fingers all the way to my neck. And they call it flossing the nerve. I don't give a shit what they call it. It working. It's working. I feel my arm feels so much better. It's not like, you know, 100% by any stretch of the imagination, but the fire pain is all gone. And I'm left with kind of like this tingly, you know, a little bit of tingle in my fingers and a little bit of, it just feels a little tense. And you know, if I, if I screw around too long on my like mouse or something like that, then it starts to flare up again. But after three times of an hour each of physical therapy, man, it's like night and day. So, um, again, shout out to Bass Peters. Thank you, Bass. I really appreciate it. Uh, Bass has also been covering, I need to put this together. It's just not really about Bitcoin, but Bass has been feeding me news stories and information about the farmer revolt that's going on in his part of the world. And I, you will not hear about it on, on any, um, mainstream media out, out here, at least in the United States. I don't know about, you know, in, you know, in Europe where, you know, where he's at, he's in like, I think it's like. Oh God, it's like one of the Northern countries. I'd have to go back and look, but apparently there is a very, very serious revolt from the farmers. I'm talking about like, like spinning up all their, you know, thousands of tractors spinning up and like almost trying to run through the parliament building. One of them, like they put a tractor up on the steps and where I think they're like actually bashed the door down. I'm not sure, but it's, it's bad. And I want to thank Bass for, for feeding me that information because farming at this point is uh, becoming evident. It's becoming evident to many people how important this shit is. And I'm not talking about why, you know, my farming, when I see it in my mind, is not, you know, farming, you know, 10 million acres of corn. That's that's a commodity farm. I'm talking about an actual farm that feeds people. You'd be You'd be surprised how little corn that is grown in the United States actually enters any 
food chain that feeds humans directly. And I'm talking direct eat corn. Okay. Uh, I read, a, uh, I've been reading a book. I can't remember the name of it right now, but the guy went through some USDA numbers and every acre of corn in the, in the Midwest, in the United States represents 13.9 million calories. And that's what they'll tell you. However, after he does the damn numbers, after he does the numbers, it comes out to 3.9 million of that 13.9 million uh, calories actually hits uh, food for humans in the form of actual corn. It's it's amazing. But um, on, to end on that, on the farming note, uh, I don't normally listen to Joe Rogan. And it's not because I don't like him or, or I do like him I, or I, the fact that he's got shit tons of commercials. I, I just don't because I'm trying to I'm listening to Bitcoiners pretty much all the time. Uh, but this one, this interview with Joel Salatin from Polyface Farms. It was one of his uh, Joe Rogan's last interviews. The thing is two hour over two hours long. And if you're a Bitcoiner with any sense, then you'll be able to listen to this episode and hear Joel literally parrot all of the hallmarks of Bitcoin without ever saying the word Bitcoin. And he's not even talking about money. He's talking about food. I highly recommend this particular this particular episode of Joe Rogan. And I don't know the episode number, but it's like, you know, it's May 25th. Dude, look back in like a couple of episodes ago and you'll find it. Just look for Joel Salatin, S-A-L-A-T-I-N is the man's name. He is from Polyface Farms. And if you want to have your mind blown on what a farm can be and what a farm actually should be, go to Polyface Farms. Just Google it. You'll figure it out and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.